Hello, my dear listeners, and welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, where today we are interviewing Seth Godwin and talking about pulling yourself out of the burden of debt along with credit scores, student loans, and cars. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen, and with me as always is my shiny co-host, Scott Trench. Shiny? What am I supposed to do with shiny? It's a Firefly joke, an homage to Firefly. Oh, okay. Well, that's a, a nice light intro, Mindy. Light and airy. It was a TV show, Scott. It was only on for one year, and I think you were like three when it came out. So Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else, to introduce you to every money story because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you are starting. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big-time investments in assets like real estate, start your own business, or climb your way out of debt after getting fired from your job at Walmart, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards your dreams. Scott, we have a real treat for our listeners today. I'm so excited to share the interview that we did with Seth Godwin. But before we do, we have a money moment. And today's money moment is provided by Inago. Start saving money and time with Inago's free property management software. Find out why Inago is the number one rated property management software. As an exclusive offer to Bigger Pockets listeners, you'll get $25 for using Inago at inago.com slash biggerpockets. That's I-N-N-A-G-O.com slash biggerpockets. All right, today's money moment is use your tax refund to help with your financial goals. If you are someone who traditionally receives a refund, make a plan for it. Don't just go and blow it. Use that money to start investing, add it to your emergency fund, or pay off extra debt. Do you have a money tip for us? Email moneymoment at biggerpockets.com. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com bp. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Becoming a Navy Federal Credit Union member could help you earn more and save more. Take advantage of competitive rates with their certificate options or start saving for that next big money milestone with a low minimum deposit. Add money at any time and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal's savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Considering a big home improvement project, maybe a live-in flip, or feeling ready to consolidate some of that high-interest credit card debt, you could borrow up to 100% of your home's equity with a fixed-rate home equity loan with zero closing costs, or easily borrow as you go with a home equity line of credit. Both options could help make life's big expenses much more manageable. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Membership required. Terms and conditions apply. Loans subject to approval. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with a message for everyone paying big wireless way too much. Please, for the love of everything good in this world, stop. With Mint, you can get premium wireless for just $15 a month. Of course, if you enjoy overpaying, no judgments, but that's weird. Okay, one judgment. Anyway, give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 for three months required. New subscribers only. Renew for 12 months to lock in savings. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See mintmobile.com. Are you tired of spending endless hours managing your rental properties? Inago is here to simplify your life by saving you time and money with its free property management software. Whether you have one unit or 1,000 residential or com- commercial properties, Inago is built for you. With Inago, you can say goodbye to complex and costly solutions. Inago is free and easy to use. There's a reason Inago was rated the number one property management software by G2 for ease of use. Get started in under five minutes at inagocom biggerpockets. From tenant screening and lease signing to rent collection and work order management and everything in between, Inago has you covered. They offer a seamless interface and support representatives to assist you every step of the way. Join thousands of satisfied landlords and start streamlining your property management tasks today with Inago. As an exclusive offer to BiggerPockets listeners, you'll get $25 for using Inago. Visit Inago.com slash BiggerPockets to get started. That's I-N-N-A-G-O dot com backslash BiggerPockets. Seth Godwin is a 29-year-old content creator who started his journey on TikTok during the pandemic. He now has over 1.8 million followers on that platform, and he focuses on producing educational yet entertaining content featuring finances and talking about cars. Seth Godwin, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Hey, Mindy and Scott. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate you having me on. Seth, on your channel, you talk about everything from buying cars to consolidating debt to credit cards to college and investing. Why did you decide to become a finance content creator? To be honest with you, I was just bored during the pandemic and getting <laughs> fed up at my job uh, that nobody knew how to buy a car. Um I used to work at one of the largest financial institutions in the world. Um, I'm not allowed to say who uh, due to an NDA that I signed after leaving, Um, but I worked there for a few years um, and mainly processing loans. And a majority of those loans were car loans. And the amount of deals that I saw come in that were just atrocious uh, just baffled me. Um, So during the pandemic, when I had nothing else to do, I was like, I'm just going to get on TikTok because it's easy and talk about how you can like the the correct way to purchase a car. Can you can you give us some examples of these atrocious loans and like what um you know what what really kind of got you going? For sure, yeah, absolutely. A majority of the time it came down to loan to value, which means we've got if, if we're going to lend money on a car, we've got to make sure that it's worth it on our end if something happens to that car or something happens to the person uh buying the car, uh that it's it's got to be worth it for us to recoup the costs of that car. Um, we would go up to about 110% of what a, uh, a car is worth. So if a car is worth, you know, $10,000, we'd lend up to 110% of that. Um, and we would see, we would see loans every day, 150 to 170% uh, above like loan to value. And people were just putting the cash down to cover that difference instead of trying to negotiate the deal. Walk us through, why do you think people were getting such horrible uh, loans and how, how? What is the process that the consumer goes through to arrive at that incredibly lopsided situation? So sometimes it has to do with a car that they're trading in that they have negative equity on, so they owe more on the car than it's actually worth. So that was, I'd say, about half of the deals. And there's not really a whole lot that you can do about that aside from putting money down. 
But a lot of the time it's dealers are incentivized to add on all of these ridiculous uh programs or or warranties or things that people they know aren't going to use um and people just don't realize that they don't actually need them uh so it's it's a lot of like cleaning services uh i've seen i've seen dealerships add on a thousand dollars for like those little bitty pinstripe stickers it's it's ridiculous stuff like that and people are just none the wiser and a lot of times it's it's buried in the fine print and people you know never read the contract so they don't even know that they're getting screwed over what one last question here on this topic here what 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 would your general advice be to avoid that situation uh as a consumer yeah absolutely uh so it really comes down to knowing what the car is actually worth and there are multiple resources online that will tell you like uh, there's JD Power, there's um, there's Kelly Blue Book, and they'll tell you what the car is actually worth. Um, and if you pay above that, then you j- you're generally getting a bad deal. Seth, as a general rule, then would you just say if the loan balance is going to be greater than the car and assuming you're not an underwater situation coming in, one of these one of these weird things that uh, that could make it you know a reasonable decision, even though it's an unfortunate one. Um, would you say just avoid all of those upsells entirely if it's going to put you in a negative equity position on a car purchase? Strictly in a negative equity position? Yes, absolutely. Why are you selling your car to buy another car when you're in a negative equity position? When does that make sense? It only makes sense if there is something catastrophically wrong with the car. Most people get like a ding on their car or a new technology comes out in a newer model and they're like, I have to have that. And they just go into more debt in order to uh, have those new features that they're going to get bored with in a week and a half or two weeks. Um, it's, it's, it's a very emotionally charged thing. Um, and people need to take a step back and realize this is robbing them of their future. Oh, I like that phrase. So, I mean, I hate that phrase, but I like that phrase so much. You are literally robbing yourself of your future when you take this perfectly good car, assuming it doesn't have these catastrophic issues, taking a perfectly good car that you're bored with and trading it in and taking more debt on because you have negative equity on your car. Because what is that saying? As soon as you drive it off the lot, it's worth 40% less or something like that. So yeah, you know, it's just a means of transportation. It's just a way to get you from point A to point B. Does anybody remember what kind of car anybody else drove? I mean, yeah, we all remember that one super cool guy in high school who had the hot car, but nobody really cares. It's just such a poor financial decision. Seth, let's talk about the best cars to buy. In your opinion, what should somebody who needs a car, there is America's huge. Most people don't live near where they work. Assuming that that's not an option to move. I need a new car. What should I be buying right now? Even in the crazy craziness of the last couple of years and the craziness that we're probably about to see, even though they're a little bit more expensive, they last on average three times as long. So, and, and, and this is why I say generational wealth is built on Toyotas and Hondas. They just, they last forever, you know? Um, and yeah, you're going to have a bit of a bit more of an upfront cost, but as long as you have like decent, uh, and I mean like the most, the, the least mechanical knowledge possible, if you know how to do an oil change, you're probably going to be okay. Uh, because these things just, 
don't break down as much as other cars do. Yeah, I have a Corolla for for 10 years now. Um, uh, and uh, I, I've literally had one issue with it where a nail got in the t- one of the tires, right? And that, that was it. I've, I've, not, I've not had any other issues. I never, ever think about will it start? And like, this is something that, you know, I think some people, you know, have, you know, are, are worried about with other cars that are 10, 9, 10, uh, t- t- 12 years old or whatever. Um, so I, I completely agree with that. Uh, and, and obviously love my Corolla. How do you finance that, that purchase? Do you, you know, what, what's your optimal approach there? I've always said, even, even when rates were lower, um, if you can get below a 6%, uh, interest rate on a, on a car, you're probably doing okay. If you can't get below a 6%, then you probably need to start saving up some cash uh, because you need to work on your credit and and, uh, and and just purchase the car outright. Awesome. What would you say to somebody listening who is, saying, who, who is arguing, no, 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 um, gas-powered vehicles are going to be obsolete within the next 10 to 15 years, and you're going to experience much faster depreciation, um, which I've heard from some folks who really kind of think hard about the car market. Do you agree with that argument, or would you say, nope? Not not a factor here. To st- gas is going to be here to stay for the next couple of decades. I don't want to get too political or anything, but the way that our government operates um, and the way that uh, lobbying is in its current form, I don't see big oil going anywhere for the next couple of decades. Um, I know that we're we're transitioning, and most automakers have have pledged to stop making gas powered vehicles by like twenty thirty five, but. That's when they're going to start getting phased out. Um, I, I think we're we're still going to have gas stations at every corner. Uh, we're still going to have gas powered vehicles. There are there are literally millions upon millions upon millions of gas powered cars. It's it's they're not going to go over way overnight. Um, and whenever they do start getting phased out, I think it's still going to take 30, 40 years before they're actually gone. I wish I could disagree with you, Seth, but I can't because you are correct. I don't like to be correct on that on that point. <laughs> uh, just for the record, I think electric vehicles are cool. They're a lot of fun to drive. Uh, the zero to 60 thing in like 2.7 seconds is amazing. Um, but it, it's it is a sad reality that we have zero to sixty and thirteen point one for me. I've got a hybrid and that that sucker. I'm surprised at how fast it gets up to sixty. Uh, it, it's it's only like seven seconds. It's it's pretty wild. I have a stick shift car. It takes a long time to get up to sixty. Okay, let's transition over to credit. You recently posted a TikTok about how you fixed your credit after almost going bankrupt. And I'd be interested to learn a bit more about your personal financial journey and how did you actually fix your credit? Sure, absolutely. So uh, I worked in management at Walmart um, and then I unfortunately got fired in 2017. And that led me down a path of discovering that I was not nearly as financially secure as I thought. Um I I was taking out credit card debt left and right, not paying it off, uh, paying just the minimum balances. You know, I was the bank's best friend because uh, I, w- I was their ideal customer. Um, unfortunately, whenever I did get fired, I didn't have a second f- uh, source of income. I was like most people and just thought, oh, well, I'll be here forever. And that's that. Um, so I started falling behind on my payments. Uh, the only thing that I really kept up was my car payment because my grandmother had co-signed on the loan for me and there was no way I was taking her down with me. Um, so I, I just worked odds and ends jobs until I got something more secure. Um, but that took about a year before I found something that was really, you know, for me. And, uh, 
I had just defaulted on all of my cards. All of my balances were just way higher. Like they, a lot of them were double what they had started at um, because of all the fees and interest that had tacked on, uh, been tacked on over that, over that period. So that's when I started looking into like YouTubers, uh, like Graham Stephan. And I, of course I, I found Dave Ramsey as well. Um, I followed his baby steps programs. Um, I paid off a lot of those collections and a lot of those negative balances. Um, unfortunately that didn't really help my credit as I think most people know paying off collections doesn't really help your credit score, but it gets you back into better standing with the banks, which is what I was ultimately after. Let's frame the story here. What year did you kind of have this aha moment? I'm, you know, shoot, I'm getting fired. Everything is, uh, you know, um, not in a good place for my financial position. When, when was this? Yeah, I got fired in May of 2017, May of 2017. And then we have this journey that I, I, I think begins, it's, there's a uh, content, there's the Dave Ramsey, there's Graham Stephan, there's all this other stuff. How, how long, and what were some of the big milestones that, you know, that, that, that you went along to get out of this situation and back into a strong financial position? Um, it took, I'd say, I'd say it took about three years for things to start feeling comfortable again. Um, and that's when I got approved for my, my next or my first credit card that was not secured. Um, that was with, uh, uh, an institution called Navy federal credit union. Um, I went with them because they're known as the home of the high limits and they'll help you, you know, restore your credit. And, uh, and that was true. It was true. I got an unsecured card from them. Um, and I, I built my credit back with them. Um, and then I got into the bigger stuff with American express and stuff like that. And, um, here we are in 2023 and I have like 27 credit cards now. Some people would argue that that's maybe not the best route to go, 27 credit cards, but we- <laughs> So Dave Ramsey, podcast, you know, no longer yeah, uh, Dave Ramsey, uh, part of the picture this here. This isn't the Dave Ramsey <laughs> show. He's not here to tell us that that's a bad idea. It's travel rewards. <laughs> exactly. That's why you've got it. I'm assuming that's why you've got it, Seth. I should probably ask you that question. Yeah. Do you have that many credit cards because of the rewards? That's exactly it. It, it, came, it, it came down to sign-up bonuses um, because- once I actually learned the credit card game, thanks to people like Graham Stephan, yeah, the, I, I, I pushed the, the Dave Ramsey no credit side of things away. Um, and I, I learned how to play the game the right way. And that is a very risky thing to do. I understand why Dave says not to go down that route. Um, uh, because it takes a lot of discipline that most people don't have. Now, wh how low was your credit score at the at the bottom point there? The lowest I, I remember seeing it because I, I just stopped looking at it after a while. The lowest I remember seeing it was like 480 something. So 480. And then what? Wh how quickly are you able to get it back into like the six, 700 range? Did that take you the full three years or were you able to make some some progress in a pretty good spurt there? It was, it was a very, very, very slow game for me because it, it was very trial and error. Um, I wish that I had talked to like actually gotten people's advice, but I was ashamed to talk about it. Um, so it took, I'd say it took like a, a little over two years to get into the 600s. Um, and then after that third year, I, I was back up in the 700s. So I think that some people don't realize the range of credit scores because in this area, in this, you know, community. We talk about, I would love to have an 850 credit score. I haven't gotten there yet. I'm stuck in like the 817s. And you know, after 740, it doesn't really matter. But it goes from 350 to 850. This is your uh, FICO score. 
And that's, that's, I mean, there's a bunch of different ones, but that's the one that really counts. And it doesn't get into good territory until you get closer to 700. People don't, I don't, I don't think people realize how skewed it is towards the top. In the middle, it, that's still garbage credit, according to everybody who is giving out, uh, money and, and, uh, you know, giving out credit. And when you had a secured credit card, that's, can you explain what a secured credit card is to our listeners who don't, uh, don't know what that is? For sure. So this is where you give the bank a cash deposit, let's say $200, and then they give you a credit card with that same amount of the cash deposit. So you give them $200, they give you a credit card that has a limit of $200. And as long as you use that properly, um, and properly meaning you pay off your balance, you don't go over like 10%, 30% is what's suggested, but really 10% is where you want to be uh, for for reported credit utilization. Um, if you want to have the biggest impact on, uh, on raising your credit score, um, as long as you do that for multiple months, generally six to 12 months, then you get your cash deposit back and you have an unsecured regular credit card. Did you ever consider becoming an authorized user on somebody else's card? Have you ever gone down that route or ever talked about that route? I didn't know what authorized users were until I had already rebuilt my credit. But had I known about that, I probably would have asked a few people like, like my grandmother who's co-signed on my, my car loan for me. And uh, maybe even a few friends um, to add me as an authorized user get my credit score back up to where it needed to be, and just never use the cards. Okay, before we move on, let's take one last break to hear a word from today's show sponsors. Becoming a Navy Federal Credit Union member could help you earn more and save more. Take advantage of competitive rates with their certificate options or start saving for that next big money milestone with a low minimum deposit. Add money at any time and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal's savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Considering a big home improvement project, maybe a live-in flip, or feeling ready to consolidate some of that high-interest credit card debt, you could borrow up to 100% of your home's equity with a fixed-rate home equity loan with zero closing costs, or easily borrow as you go with a home equity line of credit. Both options could help make life's big expenses much more manageable. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Membership required. Terms and conditions apply. Loans subject to approval. You're busy building your retirement accounts and emergency reserve, but what about life insurance? Getting life insurance today means you'll have peace of mind so that if something were to happen to you, your family can cover expenses while getting back on their feet. The best time to get a policy? Now since life insurance rates typically increase as you get older. But don't worry, with Policy Genius, you can compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks. Already have a policy through work? It may not offer enough protection. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Their award-winning agents work for you, to find the policy that best fits your needs. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. 
You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. So you you were at the financial place for a, a year and a half, and then you start TikToking. Uh, is TikToking a legitimate way to make money? Like, were you able to then generate an income um, from from this this gig to to leave the job at the financial institution? How, how does that work? I didn't realize I could have success with uh, with making money on TikTok until that about about that six months in is when I uh, I realized that just having a link in your bio with an affiliate. Uh, could actually garner some some pretty high income if you market yourself the correct way. And um once I had made god it, it was it was very quick. I went from making like a few hundred bucks a month from affiliate income to making like five figures a month in in affiliate income. Um and it was just from doing my regular videos and just talking about some products that I actually used and I actually liked. Um and it, I think it if you're a if you're a genuine person and you talk about things that that actually interest you, people realize that you're not just trying to sell them something. Um, and I think that's the best way to actually build an online brand. Um, people can smell BS, especially on TikTok, from a mile away. So, so you you post about this regularly. Uh, you post a monthly income update. Can you share kind of you know a recent month's example of like how much you made and from what sources? Sure, absolutely. So let's just take September for example. Um, I made about five grand just strictly in affiliate income. Um, my sponsorships brought in about seven grand. Um, and then the TikTok creator fund brought in about 10 grand. It was like just just under 10 grand. That's like $22,000. That's all of your debt. <laughs> it, it's, ugh, it's, it's, it's insane to think about, yeah, I was 30 grand in debt to now making close to that a month. And I think that's, a perfect testament to sticking it out and doing uh, grinding on what you love. Okay. You've got a hat on that says invest. <laughs> Where are you putting that money? Most of it, honestly, is just going into really boring ETFs, <laughs> just low cost ETFs. I, I don't care about trading. I, I see all this stuff about life insurance and, and IULs and all this other stuff on TikTok. Not for me, not for me. Just Give me the give me the low cost ETFs. I love that answer. Okay, so so you you got a big audience and you and you're getting paid because you're 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 talking to a lot of Gen Z and a lot of millennials and you they they're resonating with it. They're they and and you're talking about products that you love and use. What are the questions or the problems that you're seeing your audience have? What are they coming to you with and what are they what what are they engaging with most? Most people are just terrified that they're never going to reach a point where they can actually retire. Um, and it, 
it comes down to people. I, I used to do like these financial audits, kind of Caleb Hammer style, but I'd never film them. It was just like a one-on-one kind of thing um, where I'd go over like what people were actually spending their money on. And I, I kid you not like 95% of the time, most people were just spending way too much money on food um, and not wanting to not go out to eat. And I, I think it, I, I hate to say it uh, because there are, there are legitimately people that cannot afford much of anything else. And I'm obviously not speaking on those people, um, but they, people have gotten accustomed to a lifestyle of ease and comfort um, that they don't want to give up. Um, and I, I think that's one of the biggest problems most people are facing when it comes to their finances. Are you seeing fixable problems or are you seeing a lot of people who are really truly stuck? The, the, the people who are very, like very truly stuck and just don't have many other options are minimal because most of the people that came to me were earning over six figures and still living paycheck to paycheck. And to me, that they just need a slap in the face is like, you're not doing something right. Let's uh, let's get on the right track here so that not only can you retire early, but yeah, if, if you really got disciplined, you could absolutely retire earlier. Yeah. I think that there's this misconception, especially from people who are in six figure jobs who are living paycheck to paycheck, you know, Oh, I can't be living paycheck to paycheck. I'm rich. I make six figures. I look, if you're spending every dime that comes in your paycheck to paycheck, if you can't save anything, if you have to, you know, charge it and hope that you get paid before your pay, your credit card payment comes due, you're living paycheck to paycheck. And if you're making six figures, I don't care what city you're living in, in America, if you're making six figures, you could be saving money. Totally. Like a hundred percent. I, um, I just had an, like an argument with somebody who said you couldn't live on a hundred thousand dollars in, in Manhattan. I was like, you could, you absolutely could. You just have to, again, you have to sacrifice some stuff if you want to live there. Let's talk about student loans. We're recording this on October 3rd and student loans are real popular uh, to talk about since they just became uh, due again. And you've posted quite a bit about college and student loans recently. Uh, what advice do you have for someone who's contemplating going to college or not going to college? I want to preface this by saying uh, having a college education is a great thing to have. Um, I think college can be a wonderful uh, wealth building tool if used properly. The networking aspect is incredible. Uh, just th the people and the knowledge that you gain while attending college is great. Unfortunately, Nowadays, you have to look at college more so as a business decision than an enjoyment or an educational decision, because it's just not how our system works anymore. You know, how do you think that somebody should be thinking about the decision about whether to go and get get a college degree in today's economy? In today's economy, uh, Dr. Brad, uh, my friend, Dr. Brad Klontz has also done uh, some studies about the the impact that a college degree has on your income. And on average, college graduates make about a million dollars more in their lifetime um, from, from what he's, he's concluded from his studies. Um, unfortunately, not all college degrees uh, get you there. Um, so because of that, you have to look at college as a business decision more so nowadays than you had to a long time ago. Uh, even I think like 20, 30 years ago. Um, and un unfortunately it's just, 
college degrees aren't paying what they used to. The the ROI on these degrees is nowhere near uh, what people need to to live nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 you know we we interviewed Preston Cooper from FreeUp. Um, uh, uh, back, what, what episode was that, Mindy? Episode 251 and 293 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast. And Preston and Freeop have done a very comprehensive analysis on 30,000 undergraduate degrees and countless more masters and graduate degrees. Um, to compute the ROI. And the answer is, is college worth it? Well, it depends on the degree, right? Some degrees are very low ROI or, or, or deeply negative, and some are very, very high ROI. And, and, and what's great about 2023 is that we now have the research and the data to help you make an informed decision about whether a degree you're likely to, you're going to you're pursuing is likely to be ROI positive, and some of them are tremendously po- ROI positive. So just do your homework before you you select that degree. And the good news for college students who are in colleges and you still have some time to think about this is the degree matters more than the school. An engineering degree or an economics degree is often ROI positive, while humanities and liberal arts degrees can be often um, deeply negative ROI or low ROI. That is the world we live in. Yeah. And I actually just had a conversation with my 16-year-old about this podcast episode, about this study that Preston did, because um, I'm trying to get her to think about college, not in terms of, ooh, look at all the stuff that they offer on campus, but instead, after the fact, Ooh, look at that $350,000 in student loan debt that you have and the $60,000 a year job that you were able to get with that degree. That's going to have you paying off student loans for the rest of your life. And of course, I'm going to help her pay for that. But I don't want to tell her that right now and have her not apply for literally every scholarship she can possibly apply for because I don't want her to be saddled with massive student loan debt, but I also don't want to pay $350,000 for her education <laughs> either. And part of me Very is like, fair. ooh, this is a great, this is a great thing. We should talk. I should make her listen to this episode. Now I'm like, ooh. This is the safest place to, to confess that, Mindy, because she ain't listening to this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh, Seth, when I was growing up, um, you went to college, you graduated high school, and then you went to college. That was what was pushed. And trade school was like a dirty little secret. Nobody talked about it. Nobody was pushed into it. That was for, you know, that one kid in high school that was never going to go to college. And I think that that's a really bad idea. We had um Tinian Crawford on the show and he said, I got my associate's degree, which is a two-year degree, in just six short years because college was not for me. And then he went and got his electrician's degree, and now he's an electrician and he loves his job. At the same time, we're seeing a lot, of, like a huge shortage in the trades in general because it, like, there's lots of factors. First, I think is because of my generation not being like encouraged to go into the trades when college wasn't the right choice for them. So what is your thought on trades and trade schools? And uh, what would you recommend for our audience? I couldn't agree more with what you said um, because it was the same for me um, and a, a lot of my friends, our parents pushed us to go to college and I knew I didn't want to go to college, but I also wanted to make my parents happy. Um, so I did, I, I did, two years of college. I didn't even get my associate's degree. I dropped out because I was like, I, I cannot, I cannot mentally handle this anymore. I'm done. I'm out. I'm going into the workforce. And that's the way that it is. 
Um, I wish, I wish I had even known what a trade school was. Like it was such a foreign concept to me that, and a lot of my friends that we didn't even know that we had, we had a trade school right up the road from where we lived. It was just, it never crossed our minds. Um, but I, I think, I think we have to start pushing trade schools, at least informing people of them, because now we have a shortage, at least in our area. And I, I'm, I've, I've read a few, a few articles about all over the country, electricians are like the jobs outnumber the people that are actually qualified for them. Plumbers are the, are the same thing. Like we need these people. Um, uh, and down here in Florida, we don't have enough boat mechanics for the amount of boats that we have. Like these things are not talked about nearly enough. So I, I think if, if you're somebody who likes working with your hands, if you're somebody who likes solving problems in more complex ways than data sheets, then yeah, trade school is definitely something that you should at least consider. Look into what's going on, what what uh what trades your schools offer um in your area and and really explore the uh the the opportunity of of going to these things because most trades have a har a, a high uh return on their investment. Yeah, I I love it. I couldn't agree more. I think I think that uh you know, a lot of folks are like, well, I like history, so I'm going to major in history, right? Well, look, if you're going to major in history, you better be a com- all out, passionate, totally invested person in there. You can make money uh, as as a history major if you're an author, if you're like this, you know, Ron Chernow, who's a great author, wrote a bunch of biographies I really like about uh, for some founding fathers um, that are that are really really long. Like you can make you can be successful in those fields, but you better actually be super super really passionate about it. Like you're spending your free time um, studying up on these things and, and and writing essays. If you're not, go to trade school. And get a degree and then learn about history on the side as your hobby with that, like millions of other people do, like, like I do, right? I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not a, I would love to major in history, I'd be my, but it'd be my, my favorite subject. Um, but instead I read, I read biographies and pursue it as a little bit of a side hobby and, and go with that. And I, I think that's, that's what I think a lot more people need to do is, is understand the, ec- the economics here. This is not, you know, um, unfortunately we don't live in a world where, um, your mild, more interesting, you know, the, the subject you're more mildly interested in is going to necessarily pay you. Um, and you should pursue the high ROI initiative, unless again, it's an all out true burning passion, in which case you can be uh, successful. Um, you just got to know the odds are a little bit against you. Now, let's go back to student loans for a second here, though, because that's a hot topic. A lot of people, you know, passes in the past were there, you know, um, Mindy, I know you're, you're uh, highly, you use your fashion degree on a daily basis still. Oh, sure. um, but you know, the, the, the degrees there, the decisions in the past, I have student loans. What, they're now coming out of forbearance. And this is an issue that I think is looming in the economy. I think that's going to actually, I wonder if this is going to start showing up on the scoreboard at the highest level in the sense that it will impact inflation as consumer spending pulls back um, as these things get um, going forward. So big, big issue uh, impacting millions and millions of people around the country. What's your advice to somebody who's dealing with that? And are you seeing this pop up? Uh, among your your followers, oh yeah, it's it's one of the one of the most hot topic comments that I have. In regardless of what the video is about, people are asking, "What do I do about my student loans?" And the first thing I think you should do is sit down, take fifteen twenty minutes, and find out where your budget's at. Budgeting is not fun, but it's something that 
everybody that has is dreading their finances, especially when it comes to student loans, you have to do. Um, you've got to find out where your budget's at, where these student loan payments fit in um, on top of, uh, you know, discovering what kind of student loan relief do you qualify for? Um, I'm a big proponent of if, if they're offering it, take it. So, so really, Seth, you're saying, yeah, this is going to be a painful wake up call. You're going to have to face stare it down. Do your research and see if there's anything. Do not bury your head in the sand because these payments will come due and they will be very real and they will come out of your discretionary spending budget or um, they'll come out, you know, they'll, they'll for- put pressure on your on other life decisions if you carry debt, rent or, or household. You may, be, you may be facing a forced reduction in a lifestyle that could be very painful if you're not planning ahead and, and um, preparing in advance by doing the boring, hard work of accounting and budgeting here. Is that, is that, the, is that what you're saying? Absolutely. 100%. I mean, you, you have to do a little bit of the dirty work in order to, uh, to have a little bit more peace of mind. And yeah, there, there are going to be a lot of people who are going to have to start cutting out a lot, but you can only cut out so much before your life gets miserable and you just give up on, you know, ever, ever getting these things paid off. Um, so I think there you have, you also have to start looking into side hustles as well. Uh, because yeah, you can only cut so much. You've got to increase your income at some point as well. Yeah. That's stark news, right? You got to be ready to cut back and, uh, start working nights and weekends. If, if this is going to really become a painful, um, significant part of your, your spending budget and you're already at cash flow neutral, that's, I, I think you're right. I don't think there is a better answer than that. Um, maybe for a lucky few who will find some some relief options if they do their homework and in, in, in specialty circumstances. But yeah, I, I think this is a big thing that's going to hit the economy. And, and like you know, everyone's like, what is a potential catalyst for a recession in 2024? Well, this is one of those things that could significantly dent consumer spending, especially in the Gen Z, millennial, and you know even some Gen X, some parts parts of the Gen X population here. So. Uh, I think I think we should be, uh, as a society, fearful of this uh, forbearance ending, and as an individual, ready to to make serious lifestyle chase choices to to attack the problem. Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that this is really a looming issue. It, I I don't know what the answer is other than um, get ready for some pain. Unfortunately, uh, there was this forbearance. I don't know that not having forbearance would have been a good idea back in 2020. It's been three and a half years. There's a lot of arguments for it. It went on too long. There's all of the conversation about we should just forgive all student loans. I am not sure what the right answer is, but they are starting up again and you're going to harm yourself and your credit if you don't start making payment. Well, Seth, we, we really appreciate having you on today. Thank you so much for, for sharing um, your, your, your fantastic story um, coming out of coming out of debt and, and building a really strong financial position, becoming a TikTok star, um, your thoughts on car ownership and kind of the silliness that can go on in that sector if you're not being careful. And then uh, the college and student loan degree uh, situation that we've student loan situation that we've got going on here. Really appreciate it, and look forward to following you and seeing what you get up to um, in in twenty twenty four here. It's been an absolute pleasure. I can't thank you enough for having me on. This is one of the one of my favorite discussions I've ever had revolving around any of this stuff. <laughs> awesome, it was ours too. So really appreciate it, and thank you so much. 
All right, Scott, that was Seth Godwin, and that was so much fun. We kind of covered a lot of things, so let's give our listeners a quick recap. We talked about buying a car. Read the contract. Don't go for upsells. Bottom line, understand what you're getting yourself into. And I think one of his biggest tips is don't just trade in your car because you're bored with it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, a car is one of the big three, right? It's housing, transportation, and food. And you know, the decision you make in your car is going to be of um, a, a very major determinant of whether you're able to get the snowball rolling and begin accumulating cash to start investing and, and moving towards that journey to financial independence. Let's talk about student loans, Scott. I think that both you and Seth had really good points on student loans. If you haven't been planning for your student loan payments to be starting up again, you and you don't have, I, I hate this term, extra money, but you don't have additional money in your budget that you don't have earmarked for something else, you are going to have a hard time coming up. I mean, student loan payments are back due. I, I don't know. The pause is over. I don't know what the right way to phrase that is, but your student loan is now due every month and your student loan payments. So you need to be making payments. You need to be making plans to make those payments. And it might be a pinch. Yes, you can try to cut things out of your budget. But as Seth said, there's only so much you can cut. You may have to start making more money. Yeah. Look, I I, I think it's a painful situation for everyone. I think you can point the finger in a large number of directions uh, for this problem. And at the end of the day, if you've got those student loans, you are in for the the pain of, of beginning to make those payments with interest on a go forward basis. And you need to plan for that. And that is part of the, the reality of how you budget and um, design your lifestyle on a go forward basis. All right, Mindy, should we get out of here? Scott, we should. That wraps up this episode of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. And we thank you so much for listening. He is Scott Trench, and I am Mindy Jensen saying farewell, gazelle. If you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple. And if you're looking for even more money content, feel free to visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash biggerpocketsmoney. Bigger Pockets Money was created by Mindy Jensen and Scott Trench. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Exodus Media. Copywriting by Nate Weintraub. Lastly, a big thank you to the Bigger Pockets team for making this show possible. Becoming a Navy Federal Credit Union member could help you earn more and save more. Take advantage of competitive rates with their certificate options or start saving for that next big money milestone with a low minimum deposit. Add money at any time and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal's savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Considering a big home improvement project, maybe a live-in flip, or feeling ready to consolidate some of that high-interest credit card debt, you could borrow up to 100% of your home's equity with a fixed-rate home equity loan with zero closing costs, or easily borrow as you go with a home equity line of credit. Both options could help make life's big expenses much more manageable. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Membership required. Terms and conditions apply. Loans subject to approval. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own.
Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.